two things I want to mention before we get started with the lesson for tonight. Um, been looking forward to some counseling uh, sessions. So we have a counseling seminar um, that's coming up. Um, and we, uh, I've talked to several of you individually that I think would be good for this. I want all our Sunday school teachers to go. I would like uh, for those who mentor our men to, to, to attend this. And for anybody else who'd like to attend, certainly you're free to attend this. This is called Equipping the Saints for the Work of Ministry. It's going to be held two full Saturdays, one in October and one in November. Um, Saturdays are going to be from 8 in the morning to 4 p.m. and October 20th and November the 10th. Um, I'll put this on the back table so that you can get the information for that. It's part of our Grace Partners uh, and two of our great Grace Partners pastors will be teaching and they will be teaching from the book by um, Paul Tripp. Uh, instruments in the Redeemer's hands. They'll be going through that book. So, uh, if you if you've read that book before, you know it's it's a very uh, extremely helpful tool. So, we encourage you to to uh, sign up for these classes. Uh, registration information be held here. Uh, will be on the sheet here. Other thing I want to mention: um, September twelfth. Uh, we know September eleventh is a special day. Uh, infamous in history in American history but September 12th is a is a day is a something to remember for a different reason um, Shirley Hill's birthday was on September the 12th I always remember that she's a dear she's a saint with the Lord now has been a dear member of sweet communion and faithful and in, in service to the Lord here and I praise the Lord for the memory of her service and it lingers on. We see Dale there, and we see uh, our children still serving, um, serving here, in fact. And uh, we thank God for, for her and for legacy that she's left behind. All right, we're going to be looking at Acts 14. Starting Acts 13, we, we get started with what's called Paul's um, first missionary journey. He started it, um, and where we left off at the end of chapter 13 was um, he was in Antioch in Pisidia. They always say Antioch in Pisidia because there's two Antiochs there, but uh, he was ministering there. And let's look at, at uh, what happened at the end of that ministry. You'll see in Acts 13, verse 14, you see that's... Uh, yeah, that identifies where he's ministering at. Then the long chapter, everything, all the events there are, are happening in Antioch, in Pisidia. But then in verse 50 of Acts 13, um, we see the results of ministry there. He, um, he had some opposition to his ministry. And then it says this is what he did. Um, verse 51, they shook off the dust 
from their feet. First of all, at the end of verse 50, it says they, they, were, they were kicked out. Uh, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So they were kicked out of that area. And uh, uh, now what happens is what I want to look at next, verse 51. They shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. So they went to the next village or next little city along the way. But it says they shook off the dust as a witness. And that, that was a, a way, uh, Jesus had kind of taught them that. And, and he says, when you go preaching the gospel and they don't receive you, uh, basically shake the dust off your feet. And I think that that's kind of like a, a, a testimony. You have rejected the gospel. We're moving on. And you have not added, we're not taking anything from you. We even shake off the very dust from this city as a witness against God's judgment against you for not hearing the gospel. And so they move on and take the gospel elsewhere. So now we get to chapter 14, and, and a couple things happen here in chapter 14. They are in Iconium, and they minister there. While they're ministering, notice the success of the ministry in verse 1. Um, it says, a great number of both the Jews and the Greeks believe. Isn't it great to have success in the ministry? We like to see numbers. We like to see people respond. And they saw that. They saw a great number of people, both Jews and Gentiles. Greek is just kind of that term for everybody outside of, of the Jewish nation. So they had both groups, major groups of people, hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel. And you can imagine how thrilled they were with those results. But doesn't stay that way, does it? You have a good response to the gospel, but you also have opposition to the gospel. So the very next verse, Satan gets busy, and that's what he does when, we, we, when the gospel goes out. The Holy Spirit is working, and Satan gets mad, and he gets busy as well. So verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Luke is writing this, and when he says against the brothers, he's talking about believers, against Paul and Barnabas and the ministry team. Some people were, were bad-mouthing them, and not just bad-mouthing. He said they were poisoning people. They, they were telling lies against the gospel and against the workers of the gospel. Um, so you have success, and you see the fruit of the gospel, but you also have opposition to the gospel, and that doesn't feel so good. And but I want you to notice what they do in that opposition. Verse 3, so they remain for a long time, here it is, speaking boldly for the Lord. In spite of the opposition there, Paul, Barnabas, the team of ministering ministers continued and they were bold in speaking the gospel. Now the bold is not an ugly bold in your face pointing fingers. Bold here is being firm in living for the Lord and continue to be a testimony and witness even when people don't want to hear it. So um, that boldness identified several times in Acts and other places in Scripture is a result of the Holy Spirit's work. That we don't shut up just because people don't want to hear something. We continue to speak the truth uh, and, and, and the love of God with his gospel continues to go out. You don't, don't you know, fold up the tent because we're intimidated or, or we don't see success as we would like to see it. We continue on. That's what Paul and his team did. Again, now, the, 
when you do that, you expect Satan to act ugly. Verse 4 and 5, we see that very thing. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, okay, so it got ugly. They didn't just badmouth and poison. It turned violent. It turned physical. It says an attempt was made um, um, by both parties of the unbelievers. They, um, they had been stirred up to do this wrong, and so now they were threatening physical force. Look again at the reaction or the response to that. In verse 6, they flee and they go to Lystra and to Derby. Now, flee some, sometimes sounds like a, 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 uh, a cowardly phrase or word, but it's not that at all. They learned of it. They fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country. So what happens is they left the area of conflict and they went to the following cities on their list. So they didn't just wrap up the tour and cancel it. They just moved on to the next phase of that tour. And another key thing here that's interesting is they enter the surrounding country. The gospel was spilling out all over. Just because they had this opposition and this conflict um, in Iconium, it didn't stop the gospel from going out. And the next verse kind of kind of um, uh, details that. And, they, and there they continued to preach the gospel. They didn't shut up. They didn't close up shop. They didn't end the ministry. They didn't say, well, this, this missionary trip is not a good idea. They're they trying to stone us. No, they continue preaching the gospel. So I uh, get from this passage their steadfastness in, in, in taking um, um, the word of God out. Then the next part I want to look at, verses 8 um, through 18, we see as they go to the next city in Lystra, um, what happens there. Um, in verses 8 through 10, a, a crippled man is identified, and he's healed. He's healed. Um, this is a miracle that God allows or empowers Paul to do, and he heals this crippled man. You just ask the obvious question, what does that look like, and what does that remind us of? It reminds us of what Jesus did when he walked on the earth. Why is he doing this? For the same reason that Jesus did it was to draw attention to the power of God and the gospel that is, that is the, uh, um, the reason for that power. And so people need to know that, that, that God is doing a great thing. He needs to know, they need to know that the, the Satan's work does not stop it and that God overcomes even the impact and the effect of sin, in this case sickness as a result of the fallen world that we live in. And so uh, this man is healed, and, and um, the response of the crowd in verse 11 through 13, they are just amazed. It says, um, um, they, they think, is, is they, they use this phrase in the end of verse 11, it says, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. They think that, that um, you know, their theology is all wrong. Whenever you say gods, plural, with the little g, g-o-d-s, plural, um, you, you're, not, you're not understanding really what God, big G, uh, little o-d, is, is doing and what, how he is running things. And so they, they think there's some power that's going on 
that's a part or they just don't know who God is is, is, the, is the main thing and Paul identifies this Paul and Barnabas uh, what they say is hey the gods have come down and they set up shop they want to worship Paul and Barnabas Paul and Barnabas their immediate response is no don't do that and a couple things that they say to them we are just men verse 15 um, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. So as we bring the gospel to people, um, they need to know we are human just like them. We are sinners guilty in our sin just like they are. And God has done a change in us, but don't worship us. We are men, they say. And then uh, they say, we bring you good news. We're here to, to, to give you the gospel. So don't, don't worship us, don't think of us more highly than we are, but understand what we've come to do is to give you the gospel. And then another key phrase, I love how the Bible gives a clarification and definitions of itself. Here we're given a very good, short, and exact definition of what repentance is, or what repentance means. Look at verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. That's what, that's what repenting means, turning from and turning to. That you should turn from these vain things, this worship of idols and, and all these false gods, and you should turn to the true, the living God. That's what repentance is. Turning from sin, turning to God. Right there, Acts 14, 15. The definition for repentance. He identifies God as the living God. He identified God as the creator. So he's telling them, you don't know about this God. You think I'm a God. You don't know about the true God. He's the living God. He's the one that commands repentance. He's the creator, the one that's responsible for everything uh, that is. Um, and then he says this in verse 16, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. He's saying, look at God's forbearance. He, has, he is forbearing of sin. Doesn't mean he looks the other way or he allows sin. It means he is very patient in his judgment against sin. We see God's forbearance every day. I walk around Milwaukee, and some of the stuff I see, I'm like, God, I'm surprised you have not just, just rained down fire on all of this nonsense. But God is forbearing, and part of the gospel is to teach, yes, God is judging, but you don't understand how patient he is with sin. He has, he has been patient on sins of mankind, and he's been patient so that his gospel could be heard his gospel could be received. He also, um, verse 17, he says, not only is forbearance, when people were ignorant of who God is, God gave them or left them a witness. Verse 17 speaks about the witness. Look at it. He says, um, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. What is God's witness? It's rains from heaven and fruitful seasons. The sun, the rain, the fact that we have food to eat. When you look at our garden harvest here, ever come here on Saturday, you can even come on Sunday. You see all the leftovers. We got so much stuff we can't, we can't even eat it all. And, 
there's enough food for everyone, actually, literally everyone in the world. You say people are starving. They're not starving because of lack of food. They're starving because of wickedness and sin, which won't allow them to have access to the food that's there. Uh, there is plenty of food for mankind and animal, the animal kingdom. And so God in his goodness allows this to happen. This is a, a, a sign or witness of God's forbearance, of God's goodness. And he says you get food and gladness. That's why we eat. We don't eat just to, 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 uh, to be nourished. We eat because we enjoy as a fellowship eating together, food and gladness. Some of the things that God has given us, the, 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 the taste and, and uh, even things for joy that we enjoy. So God is good, and that's a witness of, of his goodness. And, the, and it's all a part of the gospel that they are sharing um, with his people. All right, I'll end right there. We'll pick up next week in the same area. Good evening, saints. In our meditation, going to be going through the book of Hebrews. I love the book of Hebrews because he instructs us about who Jesus is and what the essence of what it means to be a Christian is. Where does Christianity come from? How does it connect to the Old Testament? How do we relate the Old and the New Testaments together? And he says long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power <clears throat> after making purification of sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much more superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness to the scepter is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make my, your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? What is he comparing the Son of God to 
and his angels. What do we know about angels? They're created by God to worship. How do people normally react to angels when they see angels? Fear, awe, right? Terror. One thing that I do, um, I get up really early in the morning and I get to listen to this really crazy uh, radio show. And on this show, they always talk about aliens, weird phenomena. And you know, I actually think there's some truth to what he is saying about that because I believe that some of these crazy things that these people see is the result of either demons making them crazy or them seeing spiritual things that they cannot explain. And as I look at these things, the things that strikes me is this. I believe that Satan is setting the world up for the okie doke. He is telling everybody there's no God, there's no spiritual things, there's nothing spiritual, there's nothing spiritual. And everybody believes there's nothing spiritual. And then he's going to show them something demonic and they're going to be like, whoa, that's real power. But is it? The one thing about angels is they seem very powerful and they are powerful compared to us. But to Jesus, they're servants. Right? You think about a king, a king could be surrounded by all these people in all these armors, right? And they have all this livery. You ever seen that? All these people, servants with livery, they all got the same. By livery, they mean they got the same uniform, right? And they'll have the colors of the house of that king or that noble. But who looks at those? To the degree that they are majestic, it only shows the majesty of the one who's over them. And so here we got all these angels Many people write books about angels that really they don't know what they're talking about, right? People get fascinated by angels, radio shows that I think are influenced by angels. And you got all these things that people are looking into. And then you have something more majestic than them, the Son of God. And Isaiah says, who has believed our report? because we have something more majestic than anything they could put on that radio show and people don't want to pay any heed. If you get on the TV and say you saw an alien, you might be able to fill this room. But you have an other world experience with the Lord and you can't fill the room. Sometimes you can't even fill a few rows. But we need to push through that. And I believe this, that some of the same struggles that we had when we were trying to put on a play this weekend and we didn't have the crowds we wanted, I believe that's just a symptom of the problem we have at Sweet Communion, where we have a good church here. We have the word going out, but we are not filling these pews. Why? Because we're not getting the word out enough. I don't think we're communicating with the same excitement that somebody who talks nonsense about aliens talks about aliens that we do about the Son of God who lives in us. And so here the author, he gets fired up because he's talking about angels and he starts comparing them. He said, none of these compare to Jesus. 
nothing that anybody else can talk about will have the impact or matter as much as Jesus. A lot of it is just straight up nonsense. We know that. But here we have the solution to all the world's problems. It's straight up magic, right? You could literally come into church and be a different person. They talk about possession and things like that. We literally get possessed by the Holy Spirit on purpose. And we need to share that experience with this world that doesn't believe that that's exciting. Maybe because we haven't made it seem exciting. Maybe because we haven't talked about how we used to be this and now we are the exact opposite. We Maybe we haven't talked about that somebody can be addicted to cocaine, addicted to heroin, come into church, hear about Jesus, and they're not. What science can answer that? It cannot. That's otherworldly power. That's God's power. What science makes you able to, when you understand who Jesus is, you're able to understand the words on these pages. But when you don't know him, you cannot. What science allows us to not even be able to speak with audible words and God still understand what we mean? So let's pray in our meditation. Let's try to fill these rooms. Yeah, we got a little crowd here. We should look around that. That should be a motivation to us, right? We working too hard to have so few. We need to make an impact. When we look at this city, it's so messed up. People need to be in here. Let's bring people in here. Let's not wait for them to come to us. Let's grab them. Even if we got to grab them up by the collar, let's bring them here. And let's get them to hear what God's truth is. Amen. What are we doing tonight? So... I want to just keep our focus um, for on this last pray or the, the last play that's coming up Friday. Um, I just want to continue to keep it in prayer because it is a ministry um, that it, it does take a lot of time. It takes a lot of time outside of church service. All the practices they do, all the prepping they do, the set design, the setups, the taking it down, the performances. It takes a lot of a lot of work. Um, talk to any of the cast members, ask them how much work they had to put in for play. Um, and I'll give them a lot of credit, too, because there was a play performance that I was at, and there was, like, not many people here. And they came out, and they, they put on a good show. They put all their heart in it, just like it was full, you know. And that takes, that sometimes it pulls the wind out of your sails when you see that. Um, but this Friday is the last performance that we're doing. Um, so let's just have somebody pray for that, that there is a good turnout, that it goes smoothly like the other ones have. Um, I want to have somebody else pray for, they've been doing a lot for this last pro play on social media, really trying to spread the word. It's, the, it's one way that we can get, that's not very expensive, to really get a lot of people exposed to the play. Um, that that just um, has a big impact, that a lot of people see, see it, and, and it draws people to 
um, New Testament that they can come and see the play that will help with the numbers. God can work through that, you know. He could work through one person putting it on there, but um, if you think of all the people that, you know, you have, say, as a Facebook friend, and how many people they have as a friend, how many people they have as a friend, that there could be good exposure through that. So um, someone else pray for that. And then also, um, I think everybody in this room actually has been to the play. Um, pray for the ministry that what they're trying to do with the play is they're trying to raise some money to continue to branch out and expand um, doing short films. So pray for that as well, that Christ just um, ben or benefits and feeds that ministry. Um, it's all through donations. Um, they're not, we're not out there knocking down doors, but it's through the heart of the people who are seeing the play. So let's have three people pray each for one of those things, and then I will close this. Lord, we just come to you, lift up the play one more time. We just ask that you continue to just use it as a ministry and that you can do a mighty work through it. We praise you for um, the creative um, writing you've given um, Brian and Jeremy, how the play is relatable. It's relatable to our time right now. Anyone seeing the play could relate with one character or more in the play. And that's you. That's you giving them that inspiration to be able to reach many different people in the audience. We ask that you continue to bless the play this final performance, help there to be a large turnout. Um, hope We ask that it be the largest turnout we have ever seen. Um, we ask that you bless the social media advertisements we've made, that it catches people's interests and it brings people to the play, that it um, is something that they may want to sacrifice their time to come to, even though it's a church play. We know you can sway the hearts of people and you can help them find these things, even though they're not looking for it, that can bring their attention to it. We ask that you just continue to work through this ministry and continue to work through the people in the play um, for all the work that they have done, um, that the play just goes well. We ask that you continue to bless Kenner and Kenner, um, continue to bless this next step that they're trying to do with um, being able to expand and just reach even more people with um, short films and wherever you want to continue to take this ministry uh, up and up and up Lord we know you have the ability to really grow it and really use it as a way to spread the message about you to a lot of people in your name we pray amen all right let's take prayer requests 